Hello, I am Antonia Preble and you're listening to The Most of It, where I speak to people with a range of expertise and experiences as I endeavour to find the answer to one big question. How do we make the most of our lives? Today's episode is all about uncovering the power of kindness. Adrian Bankert is an ABC news correspondent in America and the author of the book, Your Hidden Superpower, The Kindness That Makes You Unbeatable at Work and Connects You with Anyone. Now that is quite a title and it really is quite a book. It's fantastic and does a deep dive into all aspects of kindness, starting out with defining what kindness really is and perhaps it might not be entirely what we thought it was, and then moves into the transformative power that kindness has, how it can really change our lives and the lives of people around us. We had such a nice chat. Adrian most definitely practices what she preaches. She is so kind and really prioritizes kindness in her life and so is able to offer so many wonderful practical tips on how we might incorporate more kindness in our lives. And here in New Zealand, we've been focusing a lot on being kind this year. And so I hope that this conversation might give a a few extra suggestions and ideas on how perhaps we might incorporate even more kindness in our day-to-day lives. I hope you enjoy it. Well, hello, Adrian. Thank you so, so much for being on my podcast. I'm just so uh, happy to have you on this episode because you are exactly the kind of person that I was hoping to talk to in this series because you are clearly someone who aims to get the most out of your life and who strives to have a really meaningful and fulfilling life. So thank you so much for joining me. Thank you for having me all the way from your wardrobe. <laughs> yeah, we were we were talking before we got started. I was explaining to Adrian that normally I do these podcasts from my study, but there's some construction happening that I uh, c- could not get to stop this morning. So I'm um, in my wardrobe, and actually the computer is set up on my son's high chair. <laughs> You're so- making the most of it. I love this. <laughs> you are the epitome of the most of it. <laughs> State of the art recording situation yes. today. I think work from home has revolutionized our ideas of what it means to make it happen, don't you? Absolutely. And yeah. you realize that you can make it happen in situations that you thought perhaps previously were impossible. Turns out, no. Yes, resilience <laughs> is being formed right now. We're, we're forming our resilience muscles. <laughs> Absolutely. You are such a unique and wonderful person because you have achieved so much in your career, but you have not done so through sheer bloody mindedness or this spirit of high competitiveness. And you've taken a really different approach, which is that you lead with kindness. And in fact, you have just released a book called Your Hidden Superpower, which is all about the power of kindness. Yes. How does it feel to have released a book to be a published author. It's so exciting. I mean, it's kind of surreal because all the while that I was writing the book and working on getting the book out, I do have a day job, obviously. I'm still a journalist. And so you're in this whirlwind constantly because like, you you know, you're a, a mother, right? Of a less than one-year-old? Yes. And so doesn't it kind of, I mean, there's all this excitement at the same time, there's this consistent amount of work that needs to be done. And I think that I can relate, like the book is like a baby and I'm giving, I'm giving birth. And yet there's a lot of work that has to be done. So (laughs) 
I relate to moms now in a different way. My mom had seven children. So I know that I'll have more empathy when I have an actual infant and not a, a book, but yes. Oh, I can absolutely imagine that. It, well, it's a labor of love, isn't it? To right. <laughs> use a childbirth pun. <laughs> right. It is. And, and you put your blood and sweat and tears into this and it's very vulnerable. And at the same time, you know, it's your story and owning that is very, very important. And and sharing that with the hopes that it will make the world a better place, just like you have hopes for your child to make the world a better place. Freddie, right? Yes, Freddie, little Freddie. Yeah. Uh, well, I think you can be rest assured that your book will. It's it's really fantastic. And I, I recommend anyone who's listening to grab a copy. It's a, it's a wonderful read. A lot of uh, what you talk about in the book is set against the backdrop of your career. So have you always wanted to be a journalist? Can you tell us a bit about your work and, and why you love it? Yeah, I remember being less than 13 and wanting to be on television and watching TV presenters and saying, I could do that. Like, I could really do that. Um, watching broadcasters and wanting to tell people's stories. And then when I was in college, I started off in a junior college and I still didn't quite know what I wanted to do. It was as if I forgot the dream or thought, oh, well, that was when I was a kid and really didn't know how I was gonna get from point A to point B. But thank goodness I had the kindness of college counselors who were saying, girl, you can't stay in junior college forever, get your life together. And I had one college counselor actually drive me to the University of Southern California herself from Northern California. It was about a six, seven, eight hour drive with her young son in tow. Uh, she was originally from LA, but just her ushering me into that transition between junior college and you know, university was a kindness. And I'll never forget that. And, you know, if it wasn't for people pushing me, it's like, I knew what I wanted, but I hesitated. And so I think sometimes in life, you need a partner in life or a tour guide to let you know, it's okay, you can do this. Look, other people have done this. And that's how I landed at USC. And I majored in communication. I still wasn't a journalism major. And I started hosting talk shows at our college campus. And I, you know, I would shadow reporters for the TV news station for the university, but I was still the, the whole time, what is my path? What is my specific gift to this industry? What am I going to do to make my mark? That was all just starting to be unraveled and would not be unraveled until I got out of college and started actually working. Wow. So what do you think the most challenging thing about being a journalist is? The hours. Mm -hmm. You know, somebody asked me recently, like, what do you do when you don't feel like being kind because you haven't had a lot of sleep and you have a very busy and demanding day? And I thought, well, that's a lot of different people. <laughs> a lot of us are sleep deprived. Uh, but I think when you work, as I have in other countries and other time zones, and I've gone back and forth in the past year, half the year in Los Angeles, half the year on the East Coast, even though I'm a New York based correspondent. And then at one point I was traveling between LA and Tokyo, LA and Budapest, and then New York. And the year before I'd been to Thailand and Hong Kong and just having to still stay on a New York time zone, New York hours for reporting, you have to balance your personality with the lack of sleep while being a people person. And I think that for me, because I recognize how important people are through this kindness, intentionality, that I was coached in myself. That is why you are able to kind of build the muscle to be able to handle all of that because it is a challenge. It's heavy because one wrong word could mess you up. 
one wrong, you know, snappiness, some, something where you lose your patience. People have grace for that, but you certainly want to value your words and value others' words a lot more in those interpersonal connections that could get complicated. And it's a stressful job, right? Like you're doing often live coverage. Yes. I imagine it would be sometimes challenging to remain focused on kindness when you are not only underslept, but you're also in a high pressure, high stress situation. Yeah. I mean, again, I think a lot of industries can relate to this, but live television, if it was normal or natural, I think anybody could do it. And I don't think that everybody can do it well. And I don't mean that as a critique. I mean, most people fear public speaking, um, let alone more speaking, than death, right? <laughs> more than death, more than spiders. Um, and so getting every word right, um, making sure that you communicate uh, with compassion, with heart, and look the part, right? You know, you don't look sideways. And if you are sleepy, you have to think about that. I'm so grateful for the people who make it easier, the producers the team back in the uh, control room. The fact is, is and, I, and I talk about this in the book, if it's not for someone kind who high fives you on the way to the set or on the way to the live location, if it's not for someone who says, go get them girl, or you know, go get them guy, or whatever they say to you, the atmosphere can be even more tense. So working with and partnering with people on your crew is so important. And I learned as an intern in Los Angeles in my first internship, my only internship in my career, that if you have your crew's back, they will have your back. And that's something that I think is a universal thought, that if you have a team and they know you have their back, they will reciprocate that. And that takes a lot of pressure off, even when demand is high. I completely agree with you. I feel exactly the same way about my experience as an actress on a film set. It is so important to me on a personal level, but also on a professional level, that I have a good relationship with the crew and the other cast members because if there's any sort of tension, it literally affects my work because it means I'm not relaxed and I'm, I'm thinking about that as opposed to the work. And yeah, I know that if I feel like I'm supported and that we're all part of the same team that's based on values of mutual respect, then not only I, but everyone can do their job to the best that they can and will enjoy it more as well. It's so <laughs> it's true. It's such a crucial part. Yeah. So would you say that journalism is a kind industry? I would say that every industry has its challenges. Absolutely. I think that every industry can be kinder. I think that people are demanding that. I think that they're doing more than asking it. They want us to be kinder to each other. They want to hire employees who are more compassionate. It was because of that desire that I'm even at the network level. You know, it was because of a general manager at the Los Angeles ABC affiliate who said to me, listen, I'm hiring you because I heard your reputation of being a nice person. And I had no idea what people were saying about me to this woman at all. She said, I can teach you how to be a better reporter. I can teach you how to recover the news here in Los Angeles, but I can't teach nice. And so because of that, she decided to give me a job there. And that was four and a half years ago. I think that it, it really is a desire. So when did that desire to be a kind person, to have that as your North Star, have you always had that? Like, was it as a result of your upbringing? Was kindness a value that was upheld in your family? Where did that come from? I think the intentionality around career started at the very beginning of my career, your mother wants you to be a kind person, right? You're going to teach your son to be kind. 
your grandparents hope that you marry a kind man. You know what I mean? Like, kind is what we all wanted to be when we grew up and what other people wanted us to be. However, the purposeful kindness action that I've taken as an employee started when I was in Sacramento and I started being mentored by a gentleman there um, named Bill. And he was just like, I want you to have empathy for your crew. I want you to have empathy for your producers. I want you to have empathy for your editors. There was a gentleman who worked with me at that first station I worked in, an NBC station in Sacramento, and he snapped at me one day. This was a guy that usually wouldn't hurt a fly, you know, but when he snapped at me, it was so out of nowhere that I was so upset by it. I wanted to say something back and something told me, don't say anything. And I just bit my lip, you know, and the next day I found out that night before his mother had died and he lived with his mom. And so I thought, oh my God, I'm so glad, number one, that I didn't say anything. And number two, I'm so glad that I'm learning this lesson early that you never know what people are going through. And so I cannot judge what someone does, even if it is wrong, even if it sounds terrible, even if it is harsh, because who knows what that person's going through? Who knows that what they're expressing is not something that is a fruit of something that has nothing to do with me. And so it gave me very thick skin. And I remembered that if I had conflicts at work or if people spoke to me in a way that was harsh, that somebody might've died. And I have carried that with me throughout the years. Wow. It seems that you are a person who actively tries to learn from every experience you go through. Yeah. That's the way to get the most of it, right? I mean, life is much shorter than we realize when we were like 11 years old. You know, we think we have all the time in the world. And then as we get older and we see loss and we see grief, we realize how quickly we get to enjoy this adventure called life. And that's why I applaud your, your concept, most of it, because I want to continuously live my life wholeheartedly. I don't want to take a day for granted. I want to know that my actions count. I want to know that I did what I was supposed to do on this earth, you know, while I'm here and impacted the people who could help change the world themselves. So how do you do that? How in the world do you do that while just working? You decide to make your purpose bigger than a paycheck. You decide to make kindness bigger than competition. And for me, that's why it's all worth it. Even when it's hard to be kind, because there will be moments that it is, it gives you a sense of purpose that anchors you in knowing how brief time is and, and to pick your battles and to know that you are worthy and valuable and you do impact people, whether it looks like you get the press for it or not. You, people may never see the good kind things you do, but I promise you it will cause this domino or ripple effect, not just in that person's life that you're being kind to, but for generations. Oh, absolutely. So let's dig into kindness a little bit more. In your book, you say, kindness is often misunderstood. It is not weak and it is never people-pleasing. Ultimately, it's one of the greatest acts of courage, which I love. So what is kindness, Adrian? <laughs> <laughs> kindness. I, I love this because you're asking me for my definition versus a dictionary, though I have to reference the dictionary because the big aha moment for me was when I looked in the dictionary to study out the meaning for me to write this book. And I read it was thoughtfulness, consideration, friendliness. I'm like, okay, I get, I'm down with that. And then it said nature, natural propensity, and determination. And I said, oh my gosh. I was like, that's why they say humankind, because we're all meant to be kind. And we're all made to be kind. And that's who we are. And 
you know, I think that for a lot of us, I can't speak for everyone, but I've talked to people and I remember surveying them and saying, who are you? And they couldn't really answer me. I mean, they would look at me and they would give me an answer they thought I wanted. But I said, no, really, who are you? Don't tell me what you do well. Don't tell me your name. Who are you? And then I would tell people, do you love yourself? I would ask that. Do you love you? And they would look at me and say, well, I think I'm a good person. And these are the questions where I would kind of try to survey people to find out if they really did believe in themselves, if they really did value themselves. To me, ultimately, kind is your identity. Kindness is who you really are on your best day. Kindness is you in your perfect world scenario. Kindness is you owning 100% of who you are because your kind self is your best self. And that's what lasts. We, we need people who know who they are because when you know who you are, nothing can stop you. And when you express who you are, nobody can deny that indelible imprint you put on other people's lives. So you're saying that we are all born kind. That is ultimately the truth of who we are. And we just can get lost along the way. Yes. Why do we get lost? Why do we go away from our true nature of kindness? Disappointments, regret. You know, I'm glad I learned at a younger age. I had no idea why sometimes I'd meet people and they just seem so disillusioned, so upset, so unhappy. I thought, what? What is the problem? And then the disappointments happened to me. I, I write about this in the book and I talk about how if over time you have a dream, say you have a dream when you're 10 or 12 years old and you think you're going to hit it at 24, you don't hit it at 24. So you give yourself to 30. You don't hit it at 30. Then you're 35. And you're not as successful as what your 12-year-old self said you would be. Over time, you'll become more liable to be disappointed and jaded about yourself. Not just about the world being unfair, but because you feel that you've let your dream down. That's when we start to lose ourselves. That's when we start to be less kind because we haven't taken care of ourselves enough to know that what we do is not who we are. What we do can never fulfill us. And when you learn that, you stop and you say, okay, who am I right now? What do I care about right now? We position ourselves a little bit differently as opposed to regretting everything that didn't happen the way it was supposed to. And as we get hit with disappointments over the timetable we put on ourselves, nobody else put it on us. You know, maybe a parent or a coach told us you have to be like this or you have to be like that, and that messed us up. But inside of ourselves, we are crying out that we weren't good enough that we didn't do enough, that somehow we failed. And that's why we start to be unkind. Wow. So does that mean then that in order to be kind intentionally to the world, we have to start with being kind to ourselves? Is it possible to be kind to other people without being kind to ourselves? I believe that kindness is a win-win scenario. Most people, especially if you've lived a long time full of disappointment or full of performance-based identity, where it's based on what you do, that's who you are, you can't start being kind to yourself. You don't even know what that means. And even if I tell you, oh, it's you just need a massage, it's not enough to change your perspective, to change your paradigm. So the thing that helped me, I can only speak for me, and this book is very experiential. I don't go into a lot of statistics. I don't go into a lot of data. But what helped me is when I said, okay, I don't know the answers for myself. I don't know what to do to change my life. But I know I've been given a lot of help and answers for myself that have worked. 
I'm going to share what I do know with other people, the things that I do know work. And as I share my answers that I already have inside of me, that's me admitting that I have something to bring to the table. My life isn't a waste. So then you're answering the question for someone else and in doing so, reflected back as the answer for you. Mm-hmm. That's number one. Number two is asking yourself this, who does my heart break for? Who do I notice? Who do I want to help? Who do I have compassion for when I see a commercial or when I'm walking down the street? Whose attention most captivates me? That question will tell you what your heart really beats for. And as you take a step in the direction to take action towards that, it'll open up other areas of your life that need healing, that need inspiration, that need breath. And you'll start to evolve into someone who is kinder and less disappointed in life. That's really interesting. So, and I think very relevant to the world at the moment where a lot of people are feeling extremely uncertain and lost. They may have lost their job and you know, our jobs contribute so much to our, our sense of self. Yes. And the future looking very uncertain as we are in the middle of a pandemic. I love this idea of of looking at what's in front of you. If mm-hmm. you don't know what step to take, if you don't know how to move forward, you look in front of you and see what you care about and move in that direction. Yeah. That's the only way to have authentic expression. Otherwise, it's a list of to-dos and it's obligation. You know, I've been thinking about people who are helping and are doing these things, but I'm wondering how much of that is them thinking they're doing it because it's the right thing versus what their heart is saying. You know, so many times we just don't have the time. We're too busy to pay attention to what's really inside of our heart. We're just doing what we think we should do but we're going so fast, we're barely present. And so I've always wanted to live a very engaged and present life where I can feel and I can stop and smell the roses and I can be aware of people around me being very situational about you know, a coworker who might be having a hard time, uh, struggling, depressed, despondent. How dare I walk by someone in the hallway and just say hi and I notice that pain on their face and don't say anything. I never wanna be too busy because I've been that person. And I know what that feels like when it seems as though no one notices and I don't know how to ask for help. And so right now in the world that we live in, because there are so many people who are asking for help without words, it's so much more impactful to show kindness in a moment where people are feeling that lost feeling that you're talking about. It means so much more now because we're all in this visceral state, this time of uncertainty. So for me, The kindest thing you can do is, number one, realize you have something to offer. People have invested in you. Don't despise the gifts that you've been given from your parents and grandparents and teachers and big sisters and big brothers and coaches. Someone gave you something that's worth giving and passing on to someone else. And then the second step is, who does your heart break for? Who do you want to be compassionate towards? That will point you in the direction of the next step for your treasure map so that you can head for the gold. I just think that is so useful because I think it's so great to have practical, easy to apply advice in these times. And really, there are just so many people I know in just my world who are at an absolute crossroads at the moment because not even the job, but the career that they had, they may may have worked in in the travel industry, no longer exists. And that is such a challenging time. What do you do? You get back to who you are, take the time to be present and pause and reflect on what your heart is telling you to do and take a step in the direction of kindness. If you don't know what else to do, take a step in the direction of kindness. That's just a beautiful 
bit of advice. Thank you. And the kindness is number one, you know, and I'm big on practical advice because if anything's too complicated, I'm going to forget it. So I like to give people like one, two, threes, you know, but what I'll tell you is this, that instead of thinking kindness is pie in the sky, oh, everybody just, everybody be happy. We're all going to be kind now. It's not about that. It's about you being sane enough to listen to that intuitive voice inside of you to know what's next. Because most people are at a loss because they don't know what to do. But I promise you, at one point during kindness, intentionality, I realized not only do I have the map inside of me for my destiny, but I have the metal detector for the treasure. I bear everything in me that I need to get to wherever it is that I'm supposed to go, but I have to get still enough to find out what it is my heart's really saying. And most people just work themselves into a fit because they're just like, okay, well, I've got to apply for this and I got to do that and I got to get my money right and I got to do that. And it's like, stop. What do you care about? Who does your heart break for? Once you do that, I call kindness a sixth sense. It gives you the muscle memory because you're using your conscience for another person's benefit As you follow warm impulses to help them, then you can more intuitively discern what you need in your life at crossroads. And so as I've been kind, as I've been kind to people I don't know on the street, on the subway, at the restaurant, at work, it's like, oh, now I know what that feels like to flow in that direction that doesn't necessarily make sense, but I know it's right. I just know it in my gut, it's right. That's the knowing that you need to follow the next step so that you can be positioned for the next career move or the next relationship. Everything you're talking about is not being nice, is it? No, no, no. This conversation of kindness encompasses a lot more than I think what a lot of people think is kindness, which is niceness, which you define really well in your book, that difference. Could you talk a little bit about how people might perhaps misinterpret kindness? Yeah, because I think that people think that they've seen kindness, but really what they saw was niceness. Niceness is, if you look up the oldest definitions, exactness, precision. It's about doing everything right. And I think that in the beginning of our careers, when we're in our 20s, or for you maybe when you were in your teens, because you started acting when you were a child, really, you want to do everything right. You want to make sure that you don't get anybody upset. You want to avoid conflict and you want to um, smile and have everyone like you. <laughs> yep. <laughs> I, oh, I might be able to relate to it, a little bit of what you're saying, Adrian. <laughs> <laughs> and I can relate, yeah. And so I just thought, gosh, I was like, that's what we are when we're interns. That's what we are when we're first starting out in our jobs. And I said, but that's not necessarily kind. I'm not saying that niceness is bad or that people are who are nice are fake. But um, somebody recently interviewed me and they said, oh, so nice is the gateway drug to kindness. I said, I like that. I'm going to use that. Nice is the gateway drug. But most people don't graduate to kindness. They stay at nice. And Mm -hmm. in order to be kind, you have to be much more intentional and situationally aware of the people and what they're doing and what they need. When you are nice, you're simply trying to avoid conflict. You're being polite. You're smiling at people in the hall. You're saying hi and breezing by. But when you're kind, you'll smile and you'll stop if you notice someone who needs a little more time, who might need a hug, who might need a a sign of appreciation, who might need a chat. And you remembered what they said to you last time about their boat and how they remodeled it. And, oh, how's that remodel going? It's much more present with people. I call it the warm embrace. It's not even a physical embrace. It's an embrace of the person. I see you. I expect to connect with you and I appreciate you as a gift. When I go to work 
and I try to do this anywhere at the market, wherever, it doesn't always happen. But when I go to work, because I see certain people, I consider it the one in a million chance of me being able to impact somebody's life who you might not be able to meet. And I say you, I don't mean Antonia, I mean somebody who doesn't work at my company, somebody who doesn't work at my office. And so why was I placed in this position? Not just to fill a job title, not just to do a, a job, but because I'll meet this person who needed encouragement from somebody like me. Your kindness is like your thumbprint. Even though we both could buy the coffee for the person in front of us, the way you express kindness and the personalities you care about and how you show that appreciation will vary from the way I do it. It's your indelible mark. It's your tailor-made handprint on humanity that makes the world a better place because of your unique representation. Wow. So this is how we are all uniquely special. This is what makes you so special. Which, our, you know, our mother's always told us, which is to say that <laughs> no one is more special than anyone else because our blueprint for kindness is uniquely ours. Yes. And just as crucial to the world as everyone else's. Yeah, I had that question because I thought, okay, if we're all special, why? What makes me so special if we're all special? What makes me so unique if we're all unique? I really wanted to know the answer to that, and I wanted to give a practical answer for it. And I realized, oh my gosh, it's because kindness is unique. You can think that it's just a series of tasks or gives or surprises, but when I realized that you, the way that you think and who you care about and how you express that care is different based on your history and your upbringing and your personality, I realized that it's kind of like statistics or numbers. Like there's no way that I could ever duplicate exactly what you do for someone, even your voice, the way you speak and he, people hearing. My mentor would say, you know, when you call and when Antonio calls somebody on the phone, it's different than when Adrian calls somebody on the phone because your voice is your voice. And when they hear that, it brings a joy or it brings an encouragement or it brings friendship or it brings a warm memory, something that only you can provide. I would provide a different flavor. And that's what makes us special. It's the one way that we can be special without competing with one another. Which connects back into the idea that kindness is our authentic self. So it's mm -hmm. through connecting wholeheartedly and fully to who we really are yes. that we can express our full kindness to the world and therefore our full uniqueness. Yes, 100% authenticity. Mm -hmm. So how has your unique self, your unique kindness affected your life and your work? Has it Does it influence the way you approach the stories that you're researching and covering? Yeah, I mean, I think that research is, I, I try to look a person up before I meet with them just out of respect, you know? Well, I feel so respected that you know all this <laughs> stuff about me. <laughs> I really do. Like when you're like, oh, your son's Freddie and you started acting young. It's like, oh, she's really taken the time to look me up. That's so kind. Yeah, it's, yeah. I, that's lovely. Thank you. Well, I think it, it helps because then you know that I didn't just jump on here and, okay, I've got to hurry up and do this. All right, fine. Okay, let's do it, you know? Yeah. I don't, like, search people all the way to, you know, the nth degree. I don't do all that. I just, I get enough that I can feel it. Oh, she's a mom. You know, she's a new mom. She lives in New Zealand. Okay. <laughs> she's an actress. <laughs> and she likes tea, like I do. Um, but <laughs> This is going to go well. <laughs> yeah, this is, I'm like, this is so easy. <laughs> we both love we'll tea. We'll always have tea. <laughs> we'll always, always have tea. 
And I think that it's respectful and people notice it like you did. And I think it just brings a sign of welcome. And I tell people that when I come into a room and I meet someone, especially people who have performed, you know, when I, when I speak to actors and actresses, I actually, is that disrespectful to say actresses anymore? No, not at all. Okay. I was like, when I speak to actors. (laughs) No, it's very difficult to get the words right these days, but actresses, absolutely fine. Okay. Okay. I just want to make sure. Um, Because sometimes I use it, sometimes I don't. But my point is, is that I make sure that I know enough about them as a person and not just their resume. Because again, I respect who they are and not just what they do. And then I always treat people who have become wildly successful as geniuses because they can feel that. They know when you walk into a room and think, oh, okay, let's do this. Like, here's another one of them, you know, one of the celebrities. Like, I think that sometimes we judge people based on whatever. And to take away all that judgment, I just treat everyone that sits across from me as though they're the smartest person in the room. And that's people you interview as well as your colleagues, or is that more, mm-hmm. or, yeah, it's across the board? There's two sides to it. I treat people with welcome, respect. I treat them like they're geniuses. And then I also treat myself as though I'm a treasure in the room too. So they're treasured, I'm a treasure. I'm a big sister. I studied people's personalities and, and how they interacted with one another, interpersonal communication as a child, because it fascinated me, all these different personalities in one house and how we got along and what we didn't get along by. And it was just very fascinating to me. And when I worked in uh, news, my first job, I anchored the shows with a number of different personalities. I mean, a full range of people. I think there were 13 or something who would either fill an anchor or anchor the shows. And so I was constantly changing my partner on the desk. And at one point, I remember I was very young as an anchor, and I said, gosh, how do I, because everybody's different. I said, how in the world am I going to adapt to everybody's personality type? Because you couldn't treat one person like you treated the other. And I came to this conclusion. If I make them look good, I'll always look good. So that's my kindness. I still value myself. But because I do value myself, I know that I'm not going to miss out. There's no FOMO if I make them look like the star. Wow. And that helps your connection, creates a sense of warm reciprocity between the two of you. And when we are watching people on the screen, we want to see connection, right? As an audience, that's what jumps off the screen. It's chemistry. That's what jumps off the screen to us. So it's this, again, this beautiful idea of a kindness to others is also a kindness to yourself. Exactly. And that's why I'm glad you brought that up for the second time, because it really is a win-win. I really wanted to see how we could make life a win-win, even in the most notoriously competitive worlds, whether they were in you know, media or they were in um, Wall Street. You know, it can become so dog-eat-dog or um, there's just this climb. And I thought, you know what? I remember when I made the decision not to compete with anyone in my industry. I remember it was my first job again. I said, I'm never going to compete with anybody because there will always be someone you could compare yourself to, you know, oh, well, they're prettier or, oh, well, they're smarter. Oh, well, they have more experience. Oh, they've done more investigative stories and I've done none. And I thought, you know what, why am I going to compete? Why not instead decide I'm going to make them look good and I'll be okay? (laughs) Like, And plus, my purpose at work is not to reduce everyone around me to rivals. My purpose at work is to make people's day better. 
One of my colleagues at ABC actually wrote that note to me. I was doing some live report and they wrote on a piece of script, you make the day better. Or no, maybe it was an email they sent me, you make the day better. And I almost titled the book, You Make the Day Better. When I read that, I thought that is the most beautiful thing I have ever seen because that's really my job. My job is to make the day better. And that's what I want everyone to have is a goal of making the day better for other people. And it's such an empowering goal because you're the one in the driver's seat of that goal. Like yes. That is up to you. If that goal is achieved, if you achieve what you want in a day, that's completely up to you. Whereas so many things in life, we can feel very disempowered or passive things happen to us if goals are based on other people, meaning like that that spirit of competition that you were talking about. But if it's not about other people, if you've got the power within your own self to create the life you want, what a great position to be in. Yeah. And I think that that's really what I wanted. I wanted to have that sense of being impactful enough that I, I didn't think life was just happening at me or to me, you know? And when I feel like, no, I've made this decision, this is me, then it really is very empowering. But let me not, I, I keep on glossing over the kindness to self, and I don't mean to, because you brought it up twice, and I want to make sure that we address this. You know, there's different ways to be kind to yourself. I, I make sure, it's, well, since the pandemic, it's been very difficult, but I make sure to get a massage every month. It helps with tension. I walk a lot in New York City. Walking is just a part of life. And so I think that we need to do things like that. I mean, a lot of us have not been able to do things like that. Chiropractic adjustments completely went out the window for me in New York. In fact, I'm still being charged for mine. I need to get that taken care of <laughs> on auto Note pay. To self. Note to <laughs> yeah. self. Let me take some accounting. Um, <laughs> but yeah, it's been really hard because you can't do the things that you normally do to take care of you. And, you know, it's not bad or selfish to want to go get a facial or get your, your nails done, though we, again, can't do that right now. If you don't take care of yourself, you will take it out on others. I see where when I don't take care of myself, when I'm not sleeping the way that I should, when I'm not eating the way that I should, when I'm not um, taking that time to rest and relax by getting a massage, I get cranky. And then I'm taking it out on people and there goes the kindness message right out the window. And I said, wow, so really investing in yourself, self-care has become, you know, a very popular term. Self-care really is community care. Because when you take care of you, you won't take it out on others. I think that's our responsibility. A lot of times we as women don't always prioritize ourselves and sometimes think, well, I've got to take care of them. Well, you're not taking care of them if you don't take care of you. Mm -hmm. So it really is all connected and we can't separate them anymore. Kindness to ourselves is being kind to others. Yeah, absolutely. And that just um, reminded me of something I did want to ask you. So thank you, which is about <laughs> uh, gender and kindness, because kindness is often associated with being more feminine as opposed to masculine. How do we get men involved in this kindness conversation? And do, do you think it's perhaps harder for men to adopt this modality when it is really so counter to how at least business organizations have operated since the industrial revolution. <laughs> <laughs> since the industrial revolution. This is going to be a big beast to tackle. Um, <laughs> yeah. So let's just start at the industrial revolution and move okay. forward, shall we? <laughs> okay. All right. You are a comedian, I remember. Um, <laughs> I looked that up on Wikipedia. No. Um, <laughs> you're precious. No, I have found that men are very receptive to kindness once they find out how important it is. And I think that a lot of men were raised to be kind. I'll never forget Hugh Jackman. 
I was interviewing, oh gosh, Nathan Fillion, who um, is an actor for 20, 25 years, had shared some kind stories. And it was funny because I'm sitting across from him and I said, what is one of the best lessons you've learned in your whole career? Just, you know, generally. And he says, well, my mother gave me a little book. And in that book, she wrote, it's important to be kind to the people on the way up because they're the same people you'll see on the way down. And he said that she gave him that book to remind him of kindness. And I was like, I had not brought up that I had a book on kindness coming out. I didn't, you know, this was before anybody really knew I was writing a book on kindness. And so I was like, wow, he leaves. And the production crew says, that reminds me of a story about Hugh Jackman who came in here and it was one of our cameraman's birthdays. And before he got seated for his interview, he said, I want to say happy birthday to Kenny. Where's Kenny? And gave him a big hug. I thought, I'm going to tell Hugh Jackman this story. Well, lo and behold, I go to GMA one day in the office, and I find out he's on the show, and I'm walking. I I wasn't looking for him. I just found out, and I'm walking down back to hair and makeup, and there he is standing in the door, and I walked right up to him. I'd never met him and said, guess what? I want to tell you what people are saying about you. And he looked at me in shock, and I said, I was told you were amazingly kind and that you wish so-and-so happy birthday, and I told him the whole story. And he's literally like in awe, and I'm like, I'm wanting to surprise him in a sense, but I wasn't even thinking about it. I just had this boldness about me to tell him. And he said, thank you so much for sharing that story. My mom told me when I was younger to be kind, to always lead with kindness, and that stuck with me. So I think that while I've heard that men, you know, can tend to kind of um, think that kindness isn't a strength or that it's a more feminine quality, what I've found in my conversations, I can only speak to what I've experienced is that there are a lot of wonderful men out there whose mothers raised them right. And their mothers put this very deep thoughtfulness behind kindness and how important it was, and they kept that with them into adulthood, into raising their children, into having relationships with their partners. And so it's not something that I think is difficult once they remember where they came from, once they remember their roots, that they could use it at work. And and I've seen kindness at work with men too, I'm very grateful to tell stories of men in my book about kindness, including actors who I've interviewed and and athletes. I think it's a kindness revolution and everybody's involved. I love that. Everyone, it's a kindness revolution and you're invited. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) So I'm sure a lot of people listening to this might be thinking, okay, this sounds good. How do I do it? And in your book, you give a lot of really practical straightforward examples of how to develop, as you call it, the kindness muscle. Yes. So on a day-to-day, week-by-week basis, how should we start thinking about kindness and developing that kindness intentionality, that kindness muscle? Okay. First, I want you to think about anything that you do faithfully every day. It could be brushing your teeth. It could be going to the gym. It could be having that cup of tea. In that same manner, I want you to harness kindness. I just told this to somebody and I have a feeling it's going to become one of my next pitches or next uh, (laughs) discussions because I had another title for the book, act with kindness like you have your own reality TV show. Like every action you take is going to be recorded and broadcast. You will not have a problem being kind if you realize that everyone's watching you. And that's something that my mom would say to me is someone's always watching you even when you can't see them. She said that to me countless times as a child. And so I think that we need to be more aware of that we are so valuable, that we are so important, that in our circles, in our community, our neighbors, 
people are watching us. That's how valuable we are. And so as you meditate or as you contemplate, as you ruminate on that value, you will take more steps towards being kind because you know that your life makes a difference. Do something every day, just like you schedule your teeth being brushed, write it down on your calendar, must send a call just because to at least one colleague. Put that in your calendar before you finish that spreadsheet, before you do those errands. Make one just because call. Set your timer, set your alarm for 11 a.m. If you don't have time for a phone call, I do this wonderful little thing where I'll send a selfie video, freeze frame it, like smile, big cheese, so that you don't have that blurry still when you send it, and then press record and just say, hey you, I think you're amazing, I can't wait to see your beautiful face, or I can't wait to see your rock star, appreciate all you do for the team. Send a 10 second video and allow that other person to have a warm thought in their workday, to have a smile come across their face because some of us just need a little lift and you can lift somebody's spirits in 10 seconds. You can Venmo someone or Cash App or whatever app is available in uh, New Zealand or wherever anybody's watching or listening right now. Use that as a way to distribute money. It doesn't have to be a lot, $5, $10 and say, hey, coffee's on me, tea on me. Because virtually we're doing a lot now, but a lot of times it's like, okay, I have a conference call, gotta get on Zoom. I have a meeting, gotta get on Zoom. Well, when's the last time you did something fun, you know, with for a colleague? Because I was talking to somebody who works for a major airline and they were saying, we miss being in the office with each other because we all work together as a team and now we're all working from home and we don't know if we're coming back in. I said, well, then you guys have to do something else socially in order to stay bonded the way that you were before. Otherwise there's this distance that can grow. And so remembering to use the technology that we have at our disposal for business, but also for kindness. Brilliant. And what about if we are not feeling kind? Again, at the moment, it is such a difficult time in America. It is particularly difficult. There are riots. People are angry for very justified reasons. How do we manage our anger in relation to kindness? How do we cope with that? Well, I think for one thing, when you are dealing with a lot of emotions, You can keep on thinking of your emotions. You can keep going down that path. But one thing I've done, and again, I'm using it in a personal crisis because I don't want to speak to anything else or anyone else. I'm going to tell you what I do. This is the best day ever. I am the happiest girl on the planet. (laughs) When I say that, this big smile comes across my face and it clears the air just for a moment. Now, maybe that sounds passive. Maybe that sounds immature. Maybe that seems silly, frivolous. But in that moment, I need a breath of fresh air. Because otherwise, I've seen myself where if I allow negativity, if I allow things to overwhelm me, if I allow even busyness, tension, relationships that aren't going the way that I want consume me, then I can't think clearly. And so for me, this is what I do. I declare this, I give myself a pep talk, and then I contemplate for a moment, I I journal a lot. Journaling for me is a huge therapeutic session. And I write down or or I think about what would life look like if everything was working out for you? What would it look like? Because a lot of us are worry warts. Do they say worry warts in New Zealand? Yes. I do at least. (laughs) Yeah. We can be consumed with worry. And so worries are constantly going in our head. And what, what are we going to do? I don't know what to do. What, 
I don't know what's next. I don't know what's happening. I don't know what's happening in the world. I don't know what's happening. How can we solve all these big problems? You are using a lot of energy. For me, I have to focus on kindness. I choose to focus on kindness. I look for stories of kindness. If I'm going to watch 30 minutes of a news program, I go and look up 30 minutes or more of kindness stories. I literally turn my focus to kindness because I believe, even in the midst of everything going on, that there are so many good people in the world who feel just like I do, who want to help, who want to make a difference, who want to make a change. And if I'm sitting here stewing and worrying, I'm just using energy sitting still and and maybe burning out. But if I focus on kindness, I have used it in my own personal times of crisis. And again, that's not trying to be selfish. This is my personal time of crisis. And it has gotten me out of a funk. It has helped propel me to action. I'll give you an example. And obviously I'm not at all trying to minimize anything going on today, but there was a time when I was gloomy and I didn't know what to do. I was facing the death of my father. I knew that he was going to die soon. I didn't know how to really handle or deal with all of my emotions. And I thought, okay, let me answer the questions. Who do I want to help? And what step can I take to help them? And the answer came that I wanted to help women who were feeling lonely around Valentine's Day. Not necessarily that they needed a date, but just I wanted to express to them that they were loved. And so I said, okay, what can I do to make women who feel lonely make them feel loved and worthy? I'm not feeling sorry for them. I just want to give them a gift because I love women. (laughs) You know, this wasn't like, oh, let's pine and be upset because we don't have a date. It's no, it's you are worthy and valuable just as you are. And so I started making phone calls of people I knew in the city, of people I knew with businesses, of people I knew who would give gifts of, for no cost, gifts for um, swag bags, of foods, of different things. And I put this thing together in two and a half weeks and spread it word of mouth and people could invite their friends. And all you had to be is a woman and show up and you got a free time to shop, a free gift bag, and you got cupcakes and sparkling water and ice cream and we had some other foods but and you had good conversation with other women who were smart and sweet and wonderful and worthy just like you and it was not easy I was working as a journalist the whole time I had multiple assignments I was working off hours I was not getting as much sleep but it felt very very important to me in this middle of this time of crisis for me personally that I had to do something for someone else Focusing on that kindness got me through at a time when I was facing a lot of struggles emotionally. There is no easy answer. There is no Band-Aid to the ills that we're facing right now. However, when I stay focused on kindness, it keeps me clear-headed, and it keeps me conscious of giving, and it keeps me conscious of compassion, and that is what we all need right now. Beautiful. So it's not about denying your feelings. It's not about denying what's going on. It's being really honest about all that. Again, what you're saying before about connecting back into your authentic self, what is really going on, recognizing that, but then choosing to funnel that energy and those emotions in a very particular way. Yes. And being who you are. I mean, I think that no matter what's going on in the world, I 
during the, in the midst of this pandemic, I said, you know, who are we except for our tribe? And I can't see my tribe now and I can't be with my family and I can't celebrate my birthday at a restaurant. I've got to celebrate it inside. And I thought, I felt like I was like craving human interaction that I couldn't have, that I wasn't allowed to have because of what was going on. And so I started to get very creative and, and started writing and started doing things out of kindness so that I could be anchored in myself, even if the world did shut down and it did. And that's who I want my children to be. If the whole world decides to shut down, I want my child to stand in who they really are and to be kind. I never want them to not be kind. And everyone, you know, we can disagree about a lot of things. We can debate about a lot of things, but every single person on the planet wants some kindness. They absolutely do. That is such a lovely note to end on. Thank you so, so much. Just such beautiful takeaways. And again, I would recommend anyone who is interested in finding out more about how they can introduce more kindness in their lives and experience a more fulfilling life as a result to to read your book because it's so practical on a really straightforward level. And a lot of the things you wrote, I was like, oh yeah, oh yeah, I know that, I know that. But <laughs> it's like about bringing what we already know actually to the forefront of your brain and acting upon it as opposed to just kind of keeping it there vaguely in your subconscious where we're too busy to, to really well, that's true. focus on that. I always ask my guests three questions at the end. So the first question is, what is the most significant lesson that you have learned? I really would say the most significant lesson is that kindness is my identity. I really would, because I think that for many years, I struggled with knowing who I really was and not relating to who I was in the past or relating to what I did or relating to who I came from or where I came from, the geography. I'll tell you one thing, Diane von Furstenberg, her quote really impacted my life and, and really helped lead the writing of this book, actually. She said when she was in her 20s that she had this suitcase full of her dresses, you know, her, her first dresses that she'd ever created and said, I didn't know what I wanted to do, but I knew the kind of woman I wanted to be. And when I decided that I knew the kind of woman I wanted to be, that's when this all like completely solidified. Because if, not, if I'm not the kind of woman I want to be, then I don't want to do anything. If I lose myself or compromise my integrity or my standards or my character or my kindness for the sake of anything else that's going on around me, then I'm not really being me. I'm not authentic. And I have got to be real above all else. And so when people will say to me, oh my gosh, you're so real, I know exactly what they mean. And I'm happy with the woman I see in the mirror today. I've still got a ways to go, but I'm so proud of the girl who grew up because my 12-year-old self would be very proud of me right now. Because you are the person that your 12-year-old self wanted to be, because yes. you are kind. Yes. Amazing. So then what is a lesson that you still have to learn? I would like to be better organized. Organization, as you become more, you know, not busy, but more accomplished, because somebody said, don't say you're busy, say you're accomplished. <laughs> Nice, nice. Because when you're busy, it's like, I've got too much going on. I can't talk to you right now. No, I've got plenty of time to talk to you, but I'm accomplishing quite a bit right now. <laughs> um, <laughs> I like that. Reframe it. Yes. I have to reframe everything. I would want to be more organized because one thing I've always despised is paperwork. It's like there's so many receipts and envelopes and, you know, they have closet organizers who come in and organize your closet to make it look beautiful. Your closet looks very beautiful right now, by the way. 
<laughs> may have done a tidy before we started. Okay. Maybe, okay, maybe, maybe not. Maybe. I would love somebody to come in and say, this is what you do with all of your receipts. And this is what you do with all those loose papers. That, and this is what you do with all the envelopes that you scribbled on the back of. You know, it's because I want to like go back over like five years and take every note that I've ever written on a scrap piece of paper and finally organize it. But I don't know if anybody can relate to that, but my God, I need help. I need an intervention. I'm pretty sure that a lot of people could relate. And again, um, I couldn't obviously speak for myself. <laughs> I, I definitely have a lot of notes on um, envelopes as Oh, well. my gosh. I'm like, God, does anybody else? I even buy notebooks so that I won't do that. And I end up using the back of envelopes anyway. Because <laughs> it's right there. Yeah. Well, that, that sounds like a, a great thing to work towards. Uh, and so finally, the big question, Adrian, how do we make the most of our lives? My mentor, um, Bill Krause, he would say, if you help enough people to get what they want, then soon you will get what you want. I think we make the most of our lives by realizing as we see ourselves for who we really are, we are more than just individuals. We are answers to someone's problems. And as we're kind, we become more than just compassionate individuals with a lifestyle of philanthropy and charity, we become the remedy for someone else. Amazing. Thank you so much. There is so much wisdom packed into that bit of advice and I I know people will get so much out of it. Thank you so much for being you and for writing your book and sharing what you've learned. I'm so happy to have had this time with you. Thank you so much. Thank you. I'm excited. i you know, I look forward to coming to New Zealand. I've never been. It's on my list of dream trips. And I will look you up when I go, or I'll let you know beforehand. Please do. I can take you on a, a little, as we say, a tiki tour of, uh, of all the hot spots. <laughs> uh, as soon as that American New Zealand bubble opens up, <laughs> surely it's on the horizon, right? <laughs> that would be really good news for all of us. That really would. Thank you so much again. Thank you, Antonia. so much great food for thought in there. I really hope you enjoyed today's episode and if you did please do remember to rate, review and subscribe to The Most of It as this will help other people know that we're around and as ever thank you so much to my partners in crime my producers Raw Collective. See you next time. Listener.